Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging. Maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. We've been in a series here on the oneness of God, working through um, the oneness of God. And um, last week, I tell you what, the Holy Ghost just moved in and took over. And it's His church. It's His church. I, uh, I want to turn your attention here tonight to the book of John to begin. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at the screen. We're going to read from John 10, and then we're going to read from John 14, and then we'll pray, and you can be seated here this evening. We did not really teach from last week, but we put it on the app. It's there if you want the the notes. We try to make that available, get a lot of good feedback about that, people who utilize. If you don't want to utilize that, that's no problem. It's simply there for your convenience. If you're joining us deep into the series and you want to, to grab the cliff notes, those are available on the Church Center app, easy for your consumption. Uh, again, not, not mandatory, but sure there for your convenience. I thank our creative team for all of their work there. Brother Ross and this team and all of our musicians, thanks for leading us tonight in worship. Sister Mass, thank you for reminding us. He is the same God. He is. Big problems, little problems. From headaches to cancer. He's the same God. And I, man, I felt something today. I'm just going to say the church. Wouldn't plan on saying this right now. He's not intimidated. He is not intimidated. He never sees, let me say it this way, because this is what I really felt in prayer earlier. He doesn't have off days. We do. How many in here has already had an off day in the last week or two? You've had an off day. You be honest. You just had a... Some of you being honest, some of you just having a great life, and we're honored. We're delighted for you. You're doing well. Post online what you're doing. Aren't you glad to know that he is unwavering? Mm, He doesn't have an off day. We're going to speak tonight about the Father, Son, Holy Ghost language in the text and how that could be confusing for some, but what the Scripture is really saying, John chapter 10 and verse thirty. I and my Father are one. Everyone quote that with me. I and my Father are one. John chapter 14, jumping over four chapters to the 16th and 17th verses there. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you. How long? Forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. If you're here and you've received the Holy Ghost, you ought to wave your hands right now and give God thanks that you know what comfort. Come on, you know what a comfort that the world cannot provide is all about. There's nothing like the power of the Holy Ghost. Lord, we love you. We thank you for the reading of your word. We feel your presence in this house tonight. 
I pray you would help us here tonight, that you would do a work as we study your word, that you would uh, just minister and move upon us. Help us not to be distracted. Help us to stay connected. Help me somehow, somehow to teach in a way that it can grab attention and, and keep us connected to your word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Let everybody say, let him teach good, Lord. Amen. You may be seated. I was talking to some students not long ago. Um, I was talking about the first time that I ever um, was asked to preach out. Who, who here that is a minister or preacher, you can remember the first time that you preached somewhere else? It wasn't like a sermonette at home, but you got asked to actually preach somewhere else. Wave at me right now if you remember what it was. And it went from butterflies to vultures. I told this story about this, I think even here not too long ago, but I was reminded of this here just recently. I was telling this story and I was sitting there in the office, this great elder pastor in uh, Southern Illinois, and I was sitting in his office. He had given me his office and his desk. He had one of those big wooden desks that stretched from Dan to Beersheba. And, and I, I was sitting at that thing and I was confused. Brother Gallion, I, I had lots of notes and nothing to say. You know what I'm talking about? I had lots of stuff. And I had papers scattered everywhere, everywhere. I had crumbled up balls of stuff. I had notes. I had stolen notes from anything I could find everywhere. Um, when I was going to preach, when I was invited to preach, it was at the church that my grandmother attended. I had one of those good old gospel grandmothers. She taught Sunday school for 47 years. Wow. Yeah, pretty incredible. So that was my heritage. And I remember telling her, I said, Grandma, I'm excited that they asked me to preach. I was so excited when they asked me to preach that I called the pastor back the next day and said, are you sure? Is that, that really happened? He said, well, I think so. I didn't want him to rebuttal. So I said, I'll be there. I hung up. Uh, I'm sitting here at this office. I had already asked her. I said, Grandma, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do my best to preach. It was for a youth rally. I thought there'd be about you know, 30 people there, 40 people there, but I could hear it. They had showed up to hear their a teenager preach, and man, it was full. When I tell you it was full, the overflow was full, the people were full, and I thought I only had to preach about 10, 15 minutes. I think the longest message I had ever preached before that night was six minutes. I think I was supposed to go seven. I preached Genesis to Revelation in six minutes. <laughs> I didn't know what I was saying. The people didn't know what I was saying. I'm not sure the Lord knew what I was saying. <laughs> and Grandma, I said, I said, I'm going to do my best. I probably, you know, I preach 15. And in her loving, elder, apostolic way, she said, oh, son, you need to preach at least 40 minutes. I said, oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, Grandma. And on that, and having that 40-minute timeline in my mind, I'm sitting there. I got all these notes scattered. I got that, you remember that old yellow line paper? Man, I had that just balled up and stuff laying everywhere. None of it was good. I'm telling you, none of it was good. I'll never forget the pastor opening the door, walked in there to the office, and, and I had papers everywhere, and, and I, I heard the door open, and I looked up at him, and he said, Son, if you don't have it by now, you ain't getting it. <laughs> I said, Thanks a lot. I played it off. I said, I'm ready, I'm ready, I'm ready. I didn't know how to preach 40 minutes. I, I, here's what I do know happened that night. I went longer than I should have, but there was a lot of repeating. <laughs> there was a lot of saying the same thing over and over and over. Sometimes we, we, we get in a situation like this, and for some people, 20 minutes is too long. For some people, 40 minutes isn't long enough. 
Sometimes we think it's the length and the duration of the sermon or the message or the, and we think, man, I heard one guy say, uh, you know, 40 minutes is the perfect amount of time for a great message, but it is way, way, way too long for a bad one. Right? You've heard me say before, it gets on the edge of that hostage situation at some point. You know that the, the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon that's ever recorded in time, can be read in 12 minutes? Now, Brother Brown, there's no way that we can begin to exhaust the richness of its textural truth. There, there's no way. You could probably take an entire semester, couldn't you, and teach on the Sermon on the Mount. I know you enough that you could do it. But, but, he spoke it in 12 minutes. What are you saying? I'm saying the proficiency of our speech, the power of our oratory, or the length of time, whether 12 minutes, 30 minutes, 50 minutes, an hour, none of it is what makes God, God. How many know that one or two verses at the right time, spoken at the right moment into the middle of your situation, and change everything. And so I stand on the foundation tonight of John 10. I and my Father are one. And it's not very long, but if we could get a revelation of that in our world, I think it could bring revival. Mm, I really do. Let's talk about this Father, Son, Holy Ghost language. The phrase, God the Father, is biblical, and it refers to God himself. Go to Galatians chapter 1, if you will. Galatians chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. They read Paul, an apostle, not of men, neither by men, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father, who raised him from the dead, and all the brethren which are with me under the churches of Galatia. Grace be to you and peace from God the Father and from our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins that he might deliver us from this present evil world according to the will of God and our Father. God is the Father. God is the Father. He is not merely father of the son, but the father of all creation. Malachi 2.10. Have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Hebrews 12 and 9. He is also our father by reason of the new birth. We know we can read this in Hebrews 12. We can go to Romans 8. The title Father indicates that relationship between God and humans, particularly between God and His Son and between God and the regenerated humans. Jesus taught many times God is our Father. I want to say something here tonight. Father-Son language should excite you, not make you nervous. Now, I'm going to be very transparent. I can remember when I was a teenager as a oneness believer, I would get to scriptures that referenced the son and Brother Massengale, I was nervous on how to explain it so I would want to disregard it. Even when I first started preaching, I was nervous to say the son of God. 
because I could not describe completely the flesh of the Son. He was fully God and fully man. And I want to speak to this. It was not divine flesh. It was humanity. He was tempted in all manner. And there's all these different arguments that we want to get into. And it's, you can go and read from last week's notes because I'm not going to spend a lot of time with what I would have been teaching on the son principle there on whether or not could he have sinned. Boy, that's been a great debate that I've heard here and there and all over the place that people like to get in and argue about. I've had people ask me all kinds of deep, rich theological questions, real heated about it. I usually start every one of those conversations, Brother Trano, like this. Before I answer that question, what's the last Bible study you taught? Because before I debate you about something like this, I want to know if you're even reaching for souls. Some people don't like that answer, but I think it's a good one. He is the Father, and the Son is the humanity. The term Son of God, as you read it from last week's notes, refers to God as manifested in the flesh, in the person of Jesus Christ. Why? For the salvation of humanity. Elbow your neighbor and tell him we needed a spotless lamb. You know, I know that this is old-fashioned, but we needed the blood of the lamb. Ladies and gentlemen, from the youngest to the oldest in this adult class here tonight, we were desperate for the blood of the Lamb. We had to have the blood of the Lamb. And the first man, Brother Gallion, that first man, Adam, you taught about from up here on Sunday, he could not provide what we needed. And even that Old Testament plan, while I'm thankful for it, could not provide what we needed. But from the foundations... Say, well, was that God's second plan? Was that God's bailout plan? No, 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 no. From the foundation. He was slain from the foundation. Since Father refers to the deity alone, while Son of God refers to deity as incarnated in humanity, we, we do not believe that the Father is the Son. Let's, let's, let's weigh this out. This distinction is pivotal. We can say that the son died, but we cannot say that the father died. Does that make sense? The father never died. There was never a point where God ceased to be. But that flesh, just as, just as critical, everybody in this place needs to know, that flesh did die. And if we don't believe that flesh died, then we don't believe that flesh was resurrected. Say, why does that matter, Pastor Carson? That, that, that shouldn't really matter. Absolutely it matters. It matters that that flesh died. It matters that that resurrection, that those Sadducees did not believe was possible. That hell had tried to, you know, hell's greatest accomplishment would have been the thought that the flesh could die but not resurrect. But he did. We can say that the Son died, but we cannot say that the Father died because the deity in the Son is the Father. It is the Lord. Say, Pastor, is this, is this that important? I will tell you why I think it's that, that important. The number of elders when I first came here three years ago that came to me with confusion about the oneness of God. And I'm not, I don't mean that as any, we've just taken for granted for a little while. 
We had not spent enough time in it. We say we're oneness, but we can't describe it. Hero Israel. Let me, let, me, let me emphasize something we don't always emphasize in this. Hero Israel, the Lord. The Lord. The Lord. Everybody say our. Our. There's got to be some... There's got to be some possessive nature in that. It's not the God that we talk about. It's the God we live for. It's the... He's not just who we teach at our college and in our... He is our everything. We believe He created us fearfully and wonderfully. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is and so if we're going to, if we're going to, there's a difference. Please catch this. There is a difference between talking about him and to him. And to talk to him, you need to be in relationship with him. And it is hard to truly converse with that with whom you cannot know or choose not to. And so it's important. Am I too excited? I don't know. The term Holy Ghost and Holy Spirit. Oh, I've heard some funny debates on this. I have a friend who got real fired up about this. I prefer Holy Ghost. I mean, it's real. Like, just calm, just calm down. It's the same. Numa, it's the same. Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Well, I don't like that other link. Okay, okay. Great. But don't get up and preach that as a doctrine. You sound crazy. You do. You sound crazy. Here's what we should try to do. Let's be, let's be biblically accurate. Let's make sure what we're taking strong stance on. Holy Ghost, listen, have your preference. If you're, I want to pull the crowd. Let's just do it for fun. Who prefers Holy Ghost? Raise your hand. Who prefers Holy Spirit? Who couldn't care less? Now, what I want, those people that raised your hand that said you couldn't care less, I want you to know there are some people in the room that are like, I'm not surprised they couldn't care less. I'm not <laughs> I felt it. I felt it in the room. I'm not surprised. I knew it. I knew that. That's the way we're going. He don't even have a tie on tonight. I'm surprised. I'm not surprised he didn't ask that question. I'm not, I'm not surprised he asked that. One of my close friends is an evangelist. He said, he said, I was preaching to the church. He said, I just showed up, wasn't even dressed yet. He said, they looked at me and said, where's your tie at? He's like, I got one. I'm not, it's just not on here. Like, we got to wear a tie here. We're conservative. He said, the very next church I went to the next week, he said, I walked in with my tie on. And they said, we don't wear uh, cloth necklaces here. He's <laughs> like, I wasn't going to, I was testing you. I was testing Say, Pastor, that's ridiculous. You're right. It is ridiculous. It is ridiculous. I wear a tie most of the time. Don't have a tie on tonight. Whether you have a tie on or, look, I want to say something. If you're here tonight in your work clothes and you got oil on your shirt, you're just as welcome here tonight as anybody next to you that's got a suit on. Yeah. I had somebody ask me, and they were well-meaning. They said, what are we going to do? If some of those people show up and they don't look like, you know, they're not dressed like, what are we going <laughs> to, we're going to rejoice. We're going to be excited. If everybody in your church looks saved, they're not. 
just write that. That's a little one to just to write, write that down. We gotta be reaching, right? We gotta be reaching, we gotta be teaching. How'd I get there? Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost. <laughs> Holy Spirit's just another term. But listen, it's all a term for the oneness of God. Let me give you some scriptures right in your notes and they'll be in the notes. 11, Leviticus 11.44, 1 Peter 1.16. God is a spirit, John 4 and 24. There is only one spirit of God. One spirit of God, 1 Corinthians 12.11. Ephesians 4 and 4. The Holy Spirit, it's another term for that one God. So don't limit the terms Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Don't, don't limit that. We find Spirit mentioned throughout the Old Testament beginning with Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2. Peter tells us that the prophets of old were moved by the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, 2 Peter 1 and 21. If the Holy Spirit is simply God, why is there a need for this term? The reason is that it emphasizes a particular aspect of God. I'm gonna tell y'all, this may seem simple, but I wanna remind us, God is everything we need. How many remember his description in the Old Testament to Moses? Who should, I, who should I say has sent me? What was the response? I am. Now, how many has ever heard a preacher just go on a tangent about I am? I am bread. I am. If you, that's, listen, if you can't preach anything, you preach that. That's good preaching. Any of you got to do a sermonette and you get stuck, just go to I am. Okay? You got 40 minutes worth of material. It's a, I heard you. Okay? It's clear that the terms Father, Son, and Holy Ghost cannot and do not imply three different persons, personalities, wills, or beings, and I don't care what creed has tried to make it orthodox. It is not. They can only denote different aspects or roles of that Spirit being the one true God, not the triune God, which is so clearly written in language. Say, Pastor Carson, this stuff doesn't matter. It matters. And, and I'm telling you, this end time revival, it matters like it's never mattered before. I may be like, I, I mean, that's just how I feel. That's how I feel. So why, let's talk about Father. We use Father, put this in your notes, Father, to emphasize God's roles as creator, the father of spirits, father of born-again believers, father, father of the humanity of Jesus Christ. This stuff is, is derived directly from the book. If you want to read the book, uh, most of it will be from there. I'm trying to give you the cliff notes or the Carson notes here. We use son to mean the man, Jesus Christ, and further to mean God as he manifests himself in the flesh for the purpose of our salvation. There actually is some uniqueness. We use terminology quite often here that we actually have to be careful with when we say he robed himself in flesh. Because there's actually been some very confusing doctrines established by robed himself in flesh. But he did manifest himself in the flesh. And you might say tomato, tomato, but it's not. And so we do have to be, I feel some wheels turning in the room. Read on it. Study on that just a little bit. It's safer language to say that he manifests himself in the flesh. 
We use the Holy Ghost or that language, Holy Ghost with Scripture, to emphasize God's active power in the world among people, particularly His work in regeneration. Now, I'm going to pause here in this oneness lesson on the Holy Ghost and remind us if nothing in us changes when we receive the Holy Ghost, then there's a problem. Now, I understand there was a day and there was an age when we think that someone got the Holy Ghost and everything immediately about them should have changed. But we don't expect people to get good to get God. We expect that if people get God, they can get good. But let me ask a question in here. Who, being full of the Holy Ghost, has, since you were filled, done things you'd like back? Why? want to ever preach a Holy Ghost that is less than lives will be transformed. That we... We believe that when we repent, it is genuine, deep repentance that is supposed to occur where we have made up our mind that we are turning from sin. We believe that when we are baptized in his name, that it is the washing away. Everybody say remission. It is the remission of sins. And we believe that when we are filled with the Holy Ghost, we are filled with what? What is it? It is the Spirit of God. I have been with you, but I will what? Be in you. Greater signs. So ladies and gentlemen, our answer for the world is what's in us. It is the power and the demonstration of the Holy Ghost. I can't overemphasize this. I I don't even care if I get real excited. I am excited. The power of the Holy Ghost that's inside of us is God working through us. That's why we're not intimidated by sickness. It's why we're not overwhelmed by the issues of the world. It's why we don't bow to social customs. It's why we don't just ebb and flow with the sinful strategies of society, but we stand resolute on doctrine and we allow it to be for reproof and for correction and for... We allow the Word... Listen, if the Word gets in us, the Word is going to change us. That's why to say you're full of the Holy Ghost, but you're no different than... That's where we get into this sticky conversation about holy living. Oh, here he goes. Just bear with me for a second. If God gets in you, I don't care what you say. There's some things God doesn't watch. God won't partake in. How do you know? Read the text. It didn't matter what group he was in. He never changed who he was without sin. He was without sin. And when the Holy Ghost, listen, not part of a triune Godhead, when the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God comes inside of you, it is known because like the Bible, you will speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives the utterance. Why does that matter? 
Why does it matter that you speak with tongues? The tongue is the most unruly member of your body. You can get everything in line and your mouth will cast you in. <laughs> You're having a great day and stub your toe. Ah. Doing wonderful. You bought your wife flowers. You were having a good day. You were nice to everybody at work. And then they cut you off. <sighs> it's like a rudder of a large ship. When he gets when he gets your ship, when he gets your body, it is evidence and you speak in another language. That's why we don't teach people how to talk in tongues around here. We don't teach. If I ever hear somebody get in someone's ear and say, la, la, la. No, 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 no. We don't teach any of it. It's divine by God that when he gets your body, he ought to get your tongue. When he fills you with his spirit. Come on, where's my witnesses on a Wednesday night? We believe in the power of the Holy Ghost, the Holy Spirit. It's God. It's God. And there, there are people all over this room that will tell you that until they got the Holy Ghost, you were a mess. I'm, I can go, I confess, I, I stand on trial. I solemnly swear to tell the truth, the whole truth. Which one goes on the bottom? If I didn't have the Holy Ghost, whew, I can't imagine. I'm a passionate guy. I'm a, I'm a fighter for the underdog. I can't imagine who I'd be. But since he's filled me, I want to give every bit of that to the kingdom of God. I want to give every bit of it. People around this room, you know that when, the, when that one God, not part of God, not, not a section of God, not one of the many gods, or not one of the many gods, but God killed you. And when he... I want to teach, but I also want to preach a little bit. How many remember when he filled you? Who remembers when you spoke in tongues as the Spirit gave the utterance? You remember what it felt like. How many remember those warm, salty tears dripping down off your cheeks and down off your chin and God got a hold of you? And I've heard people say, I don't know, I think. You'll know. You'll know. Anytime somebody's told me, I think, but I don't know, I'm like, throw them back up. Let's go. Let's pray again. I tell them, pray again, pray again, pray again, pray again, pray again. Pray again. Pray again until you're talking in tongues. And the amazing thing about God, because God's everywhere, God can fill you anywhere. He can fill you in the altar, but he can also fill you in the pew. One of the craziest things about Pentecost is we introduced this thing that we thought people had to be standing at the altar to receive the Holy Ghost. And we do all that while we read. They were sitting. As if when we get to the front, God gets stronger. Now, I love people. Don't, I don't want anyone to be like, Pastor, so we don't even have to come to the altar. I, I heard him on Wednesday night. He said we don't even have to. Pastor, I was just sitting like in Acts 2. That's what I was doing. All right, all right. But we don't make God better based on our location. 
We had one little girl who just made up her mind in the van on the way home. Didn't get the Holy Ghost at the rally. Got so bummed. And somebody said, well, you can get it anytime. She said, now, that, sometimes people will challenge you. Now, mm-hmm. But I'm going to tell you, the Holy Ghost filled that van. That little girl threw those hands up in the air. And it wasn't just a minute, but driving down the interstate, she's speaking in. I got a close friend sitting on the living room in his house. He said, God, enough is enough. I got to have the Holy Ghost and I got to have it now. And he was filled with anytime, anywhere, anybody that wants it can receive the Holy Ghost. I know, I know an elder, elder statesman who said nobody wants the Holy Ghost anymore. Fooey on that. If they knew. That's why our testimony is so important. Let me say something right now that deals with personality and action. When people meet you, they should want the Holy Ghost you have. If when they interact with you, they want to be less like you. Let me get back to these notes right now. The Holy Ghost is meant to change us. It's meant to work on us. Now listen, the Holy Ghost, you're still going to be you. Okay? You're still going to be you. But the Holy Ghost is creating you. Oh, you know what? I feel to do something. Let's lift our hands and pray, God, keep working on me. God, keep Keep working on me. Woo! Keep working on me. Don't stop working on me. I, I don't want to. I don't want you to think I'm done. I'm not done. I'm not. I'm. Come on. The Old Testament analogy would be like that. That vessel on the potter's wheel. Don't stop working on me. The Holy Ghost is not a rival. How many know we treat it that way sometimes? They got the Holy Ghost, they're good. Assembly line. The Holy Ghost was for the power to be witnessed. And across this room, we'd be witnesses at different levels. For some of you, your witness is sitting in McDonald's drinking coffee. Just visiting with other people. You're just interacting godly. Sharing your testimony. I showed up at a place of business. I don't want to embarrass anybody. I showed up at a place of business today that someone from this church works at. I'd love to embarrass them, but I won't. I showed up. One of their co-workers greeted me and knew me when I showed up. Do not come to this church. I showed up. They greeted me as Pastor Carson. I hello. <laughs> I try to do pretty good about knowing people. He said, "Oh yeah, I watch you preach on Facebook." Thank God for people that are not embarrassed of who they are, of who we. Are. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone that believeth. The Jew first, but also the Greek. 
Jew and Gentile alike. Why? Because we're full of the Holy Ghost. Oh, let's just give God great praise in this house tonight. Let's give God great praise in this house tonight. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let me, let me do just a, a little bit. Give me five minutes worth of teaching and, and we'll, we're going to leave. Let's talk about a couple debated uh, scriptures that just come up. Matthew 20, 18, 28, 19. Go ye therefore, teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. At face value, that could be confusing. And I, I hear some of you in the room, well, it's his name singular. And I know that we've said that, and it is. At face value, we see that. But let, let's, just, let's just dive in just a little bit. Jesus commands his disciples here, baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. However, this verse of Scripture does not teach that the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost are three separate persons. It teaches that the titles of Father, Son, Holy Ghost are part of identifying that singular name. That one being, the verse expressly says, in the name. I'm not trying to be condescending or too simplistic here, but it does not. The original language cannot be rendered in the names of. It is singular, in the name. The answer, or to answer, any, any doubt that the singular plural distinction is significant was planned deliberately by God. We need only read Galatians 3.16. Paul emphasized the significance of the singular thy seed as far back as what would have been found in Genesis 22 and 18. Many Trinitarian scholars have recognized at least partially the significance of the singular in Matthew 28, 19. I want to show you a couple. Presbyterian professor James Buswell stated, the name, not names of the Father, and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit in which we are to be baptized is understood here. It's Yahweh. It's, 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 it's not in plurality. The Old Testament promised that there would come a time when Jehovah would have one name. For your notes, write this down. It would be Zechariah 14.9, Isaiah 52 and 6. It was prophesied, the singularity, the understanding of that name. We quoted it here on Sunday from Acts chapter 4. There is no other name. That name would be revealed, right? That she would have a son and his name would be and he was not a God, but he was Emmanuel, God with us. We know that the one name of Matthew 28, 19 is Jesus. Jesus being that name of the Father, John 5, 43, Hebrews 1 and 4. Write those if you want them. The Son, Matthew 1 and 21. 
The Holy Ghost, John 14 and 26, to name a few here. The New Testament church understood. This is one of our greatest strengths, the history documentation of the early church. They were not confused by this. How many know that the opinions of men can muddy the facts? The danger of counsels and creeds and opinions can take what has been brought. But it was already understood. And, and Paul could barely begin preaching before he was having to speak against heresy. And those that were entering in and devising fables and working. Ladies and gentlemen, the purity of the text has always been under attack because the devil is an author of confusion. His greatest way to get you to doubt God is to doubt his work. Many encyclopedias and church historians agree the original baptismal formula in the early church history was in the name of Jesus. I've held one of the encyclopedias that I read from that about the early formula. I do not own it. If anyone would like to gift me that, just put that out there. Um, everyone in this room that's a preacher is like, if they get it, I want it. Lutheran professor Otto Hike said, at first baptism was administered in the name of Jesus, but gradually in the name of a triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's... Um, there was this writer, Marcus Borg, um, years ago. Uh, he wrote this book, Jesus and Buddha. Have anyone ever heard me talk about this, Jesus? He wrote this book, Marcus Borg, uh, Jesus and Buddha. And he talks about at the end of the Viet Cong Delta, this, this, this life transition, this religious experience he was going through. And, and he was exploring with Christianity and Buddhism. And he said, Christianity is my home. But in this exploration of Buddhism, he said, I found such confusion. And he said, there at the end of the Viet Cong Delta, he said, I found my way down to see what they had accomplished there. And they, they had found a way to blend Buddhism and Christianity. He said, even there at the end of that Viet Cong Delta stood a uh, 50-foot statue of Christ with its arm intertwined with a 50-foot Buddha. He said, and I have found peace with the blending of beliefs. He said, Christianity is my home, but I have found, and for me, that was such a clear illustration of what the world has tried to do to the purity of doctrine and the I don't want to be offensive, but I do want to be right. And if right offends, then I've got to choose to be right and righteous with God and pure in doctrine. Listen, ladies and gentlemen, if we preach anything else according to this Bible, we're in bad shape. In fact, the, the scriptural word is to be accursed. God, we want to love your word. Stand with me. Stand with me. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost tonight. I really, I really do. I'm, Teach all this to say, I don't want you, don't, don't ever be concerned with father-son language. And that's great. We understand. Father, son, Holy Ghost, that's, that's biblical language. We understand it. We believe it. We believe it. Hear me. He was the son of God. 
Many in this room that would not want to raise their hand would say they went through seasons where it almost felt weird. He was the son of God. In his humanity, that flesh, the sonship, it was the necessary lamb of God. It was necessary that he might pay the price for our sins. And he said, I'm leaving, but the comforter. And it's really what we focused in on here tonight. The Holy Ghost. I've been with you from the beginning of our reading. Been with you, John 14. But Lord, we're thankful for your word. We're thankful that we can know you. We're thankful that we can feel you, that we can talk to you, that we can experience you. We're thankful that when we read your word, it's alive. That when we talk to you, you hear us. It's not just that you care for us, but you want to fill us. Whew. You choose to dwell inside. If there's anyone in this room that hasn't had a breakthrough in the Holy Ghost in a long time, God, I pray that they could stir up what's inside. If there's anybody here that hasn't spoken tongues in a long time, I pray they could have a breakthrough in their prayer. Oh, before we leave here, somebody just lift your voice around this house and pray. Let us be full of the Holy Ghost. Father in creation. Subhumanity. Holy Ghost. That work that you do in us, that reach. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Lord. 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 Used, given to know the mysteries. Thank you, Jesus, for your understanding of Scripture. Let me speak to something before we leave here tonight. Um, Revelation, let me say it this way, accuracy should not yield arrogance. Accuracy should yield humility. I'm going to win this argument. I'm going to win this argument. You, okay, your apologetics might be great, but if your accuracy is laced with arrogance, then how accurate can it be? We've got to be accurate, but we've got to stay thankful. And to stay thankful, there's always this sense of humility. You've got to be, it's, it's, it's a line to walk because you've got to be confident and accuracy should give confidence. It will even at times just, the Holy Ghost will in fact give you boldness. But boldness and arrogance are not the same. Well, bless God, I'm right. 
Yeah, but your spirit's wrong. Does it make sense? I think maybe before we leave, let's just, let's just thank God for truth for a minute. Let's just, let's just thank God. Thank God for the Bible studies we've been taught through the years. Thank God for the strong doctrinal teaching in this church and at our Bible college and in our school. And so many of you are the collection of so many churches from over the years where you went with grandparents and parents. And Thank God for everything along the way that's led me to know you. From the most seasoned to the newest in the room, would you just say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. It's a lamp under my feet. It's a, it's a light under my path. It's my direction. It's my keeping. It's my guard. Thank you for your word.